Okay, that's good. Thank you for having us tonight. We're so glad to be with you. Uh, the verse of scripture that I wanted to look at tonight with you is in the book of Acts. If you have a Bible, you want to look at it. Uh, I think it's good to look at. It's just a single verse, um, but you may find yourself puzzling over it for months <laughs> after I share it with you. At least I have. It's in Acts chapter 1. And uh, the single verse is this. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said, the Lord said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Amen. Um, there's some things about this verse that, in my view, uh, become very important to trying to uh, share with you tonight uh, the things that the Lord has given me to share specifically with you. Um, these are things I haven't shared at the rest of the convention. So if you heard me before and hope that I'm going to say something I said uh, previously, you're really out of luck. I'm just not well trained that way. I just, uh, whatever it is the Lord gives me to say in a given night, that's what I share. This is what he's put on my heart, and I want to explain why. Uh, there's, there's a couple of things I think about this verse that are important, this being the World uh, Missionary Conference. What I want to suggest is that this verse challenges us and calls us to uh, a renewed vision of what it means to be a missionary. Missionary is a squirrely word, biblically, because it doesn't appear in the Bible at all, you know. So we have to find the closest word or analog to that word missionary that we can find. And here in Acts, in the verse that I just read in chapter 1, is a good candidate for that role. Um, the word that Jesus uses, I did mention this part um, last night when I was speaking, but in a slightly different context. The word that Jesus uses to refer to who we are to him is the word witness. So uh, that's a word that we don't often use to refer to ourselves. We think of words like um, believer, uh, disciple. Um, what are the popular ones today that you use in Ireland? Ireland? People in the U.S. and Korea, they like to say things like, you know, I'm not a, um, what do they say? They, don't, they, they say, I'm not a Christian, I'm a Christ follower. Do they say that in Ireland? Right? Because they say, I'm not a Christian. Christianity is a religion. I'm a Christ follower. And so Jesus does use words like that, follower. Uh, he uses the word friend to refer to us. But the most common word that is used to refer to us in the New Testament in terms of Jesus' own identification of who we are in relation to him is the word witness. The Greek word for witness, inconveniently, is the word martyr. In the Bible, the word martyr does not carry the overtone of a person who is willing to die for their faith. Uh, that's a historical development that would happen later on in Christian history. But in the Bible itself, Jesus frequently uses the word martyr to refer to us, as do the other writers of the New Testament. Again, I want to emphasize to you, the word missionary doesn't appear in the Bible. The word believer does, the word friend does, uh, the word disciple does, but the one that identifies you mostly in terms of how the Lord Jesus calls you is the word martyr, and it refers uh, in English to the word witness. This is important because of the fact when Jesus calls uh, the first group of people to be sent out, our theme being go out into all the world, he does not tell them go out into all the world and be my hands and feet. That would seem to be a fairly logical thing to say, and a lot of our thinking 
about missionary work today is oriented towards that thought. Uh, we want to know what can we do? Where can I go? Uh, what should I say when I get there? Because after all, I'm Jesus' hands and feet. But it's not how Jesus refers to us in this passage of Scripture. He says we are his witnesses. The other thing I want to note for you about this verse, which becomes very important as a prelude to everything I'm about to tell you about North Korea, is that Jesus doesn't say, please be my witnesses. He doesn't say, uh, you should be my witnesses. Uh, the form of the grammatical construction that he uses in the Greek, which is reflected perfectly in the English, is that it is simply an indicative statement. Uh, that is, it is something that Jesus is saying is factually true. Uh, he puts it in the future tense to say, it is simply a fact that you will be my witnesses. And so uh, when we think about this uh, very um, sacred time that we've entered into this week, I think, oddly, if you'll allow me to do this, I hope all the banger folks will be okay if I do this, if we just <laughs> scrape some of the mysticism and uh, deep spiritual uh, um, uh, overtones off the top of it, uh, which it turns out Jesus was, was uh, an immensely practical person in this regard. If I can take away from you the angst about saying, am I cold? Should I go? Will young people still go? What can I do? Where should I give tonight on the offering envelope? Uh, I'd like to scrape all that aside and say that Jesus doesn't ask you for anything according to the theme that we've been given to preach on and think about and pray about this week. He simply indicates a fact. What will be true? Those who are called by the Lord Jesus will be identified not by being his hands and his feet, uh, not by those to whom he invites and challenges them to be his witnesses. It is simply the fact that that is what they will be. You are his martyrs. What he has indicated will be the case for you in the future is that you simply will tell of his actions. And why this is important is that it sets up a very different paradigm, very different understanding for mission, because we have a tendency, wrongly is my contention, to think that unless missionaries or human beings are at work, the Lord is handicapped, he's limited, nothing is happening in a nation. And this works its way into our vocabulary as we think about the Christian world as we refer to some nations as closed. Now, our organization is called Voice of the Martyrs Korea, and we're one of 13 Voice of the Martyrs organizations around the world. Each VOM is independent. Um, we work together as often as we can, but we're all separate organizations. And our sister mission here in the UK is Release International. The founder of our organization, Pastor Richard Wormbrandt, was imprisoned uh, in Romania under the communists from 1948 through 1964. And um, he, um, he was imprisoned on two occasions. He was imprisoned in a longer term, and then he was released. When he was released, he went home. He was able to see his family again, his son, Mihai, his wife, Sabina. He was able to, to see the members of his church who prayed for him faithfully day after day after day. Uh, he was able to recover from the weight he had lost, the illnesses he had gained. It was hard for him to walk uh, because of the number of times he had been tortured in prison. Um, and in his prayer life, he prayed like this. Uh, Lord, uh, if there is anyone in prison who still needs to hear about you, uh, then send me back. 
Um, Pastor Wormbrandt in that was consistent with the way that the Lord Jesus acted, which is that the Lord Jesus has a very unusual definition of freedom, and he has a very unusual purpose for his people. Um, he is not the audience. He is always the actor. Uh, he is not the judge, uh, but instead he is the savior. So in every single case where a human heart is opened or transformed, it is transformed by the Lord Jesus himself by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, why closed countries become very important is for two reasons. One is, is that they cause us to ask what we really do believe about the Lord Jesus and whether he does still act independently of human beings or is confined to the work of the church. The second thing that they cause us to ask is, why is it that when we look at the list of the countries where the church is growing the fastest, literally every single nation on that list is categorized by us as closed? Now think about that. <laughs> if we were to want to point to example after example of where Christ is at work, we would be pointing to the countries that we refer to as closed. And we would be forced to ask the question, closed to what? And the only possible answer I can give you after 20 years of working with the brothers and sisters in what is known as the most closed country to the gospel on earth, the country of North Korea, my answer is this. The only thing that such countries are closed to is Western missionary techniques, methods, and campaigns. In the Bible, the Lord says that kings are like water in his hand, and uh, he moves them easily about. But when we speak about nations being closed, we place the Lord Jesus under such kings and insist that in his work to be done those nations must first open and so we plead and cry out to the lord to open such nations overlooking the fact that the church is growing faster there than in all the nations that we call open and if we were to ask the question open to what the answer would not be open to the work of the holy spirit it would be open to western uh, western missionary tools and techniques and strategies and campaigns. So what I'd like to do tonight is simply to fulfill the word that Jesus gave in this chapter in Acts in my own life, which is, is that the Lord has made me a witness to report to you what I have seen and heard among the people of North Korea regarding the action of the Lord Jesus there. When I tell you these things, you will find them challenging, not because they stretch the imagination or uh, they, they, they have an element of the miraculous. As I say, I'm going to scrape all of that off the top. And even though I could share with you miracle stories tonight, I'm not going to. What I want to share with you tonight are simply ordinary stories of how the Lord Jesus works in this country that you and I have unfortunately called closed, which is home to one of the fastest growing, most vibrant, bold, portions of the body of Christ on the planet today. So I want to tell you a few stories. 
And I want to then summarize those stories by pointing out what they all have in common. I'll give you a clue. All of them are stories that could not have happened through our current understanding of missionary work as uh, serving as the hands and feet of Jesus, conducting campaigns, raising funds that are necessary for the supplies that then move the work of the gospel forward. And that's a very challenging thing. As Stephen pointed out to me last night, or uh, today, he said, you know, people heard you last night, and they asked, well, I guess he doesn't need my money. That's funny, and I thought about that for a few minutes tonight. I thought, you know, I feel sorry for release because we're here on release's behalf, and the whole point of my message is to say that the Lord operates just fine without your money. Isn't that unusual? And then I, I was comforted because as I was praying about that, what the Lord brought to my mind was that he used to do miracles where he multiplied fishes and loaves, and I imagine he had the same problem, don't you? That when he'd take a few fish and loaves and he'd multiply them, people say, oh, well, if that's the case, you don't need my money. And the Lord Jesus' answer would be, that's right, and I never have. The issue is what you yourself will choose to do with it, but we'll come to that at the end. I want to tell you the story about a woman whose name was Mrs. An. Mrs. An was uh, the wife of a, a low-level Communist Party official in North Korea. And one of the things that Communist Party officials do in North Korea is they use their positions to be able to benefit themselves economically. Go figure. You know, I'm sure that's not a surprise to anyone. And so uh, Mrs. An's husband was a smuggler, part of a smuggling chain. And so uh, the same people who often will uh, smuggle things like Jack Daniels, uh, firearms, uh, low-grade plutonium, are also the same people that smuggle Bibles. And so he was one of those people. He wasn't a Christian at all. Uh, they do it for the money. And uh, so they regularly uh, would have coming through their home these kind of contraband items. I mean, stuff, you know, bottles of whiskey, uh, cigarettes from uh, South Korea and, and in the West, and uh, firearms and so forth. Uh, but they would also have uh, these books. Uh, and the reason I just say these books was because of the fact that uh, Mrs. An's husband would never allow the books to come into the house. Right? So he'd bring the firearms in, the whiskey, the cigarettes, and so forth, uh, and store them. Uh, but the books, uh, he would never allow into the home. He always insisted that they'd be buried outside. And human nature being what this is always, in every country, Mrs. An just became increasingly curious about what those <laughs> books would be. And so she kept pestering her husband about this. And he kept saying, don't ask, because they're far too dangerous. Just leave it be. But she continued, she persisted, and so, to make a long story short, he ultimately relented. He agreed that he himself would bring one of the books into the home, and they would examine it that night, and that's exactly what they did. And they brought the book in, and under the cover of a blanket, they examined the contents, and they began to read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. They didn't read very far, because they didn't understand the words very much. They read a few pages, thought it was very strange, and uh, took the book and buried it in, in the yard, and, and that was the end of it. They couldn't figure out why it would be that people would be particularly interested in it. And uh, they went on with their lives. But in North Korea, people are required to spy on every home within two homes of their own. And so if you don't report activity that's happening within two homes of your own, and, um, uh, and, and the police determine that illegal activity happened and you didn't report it, by the North Korean justice system, you are considered guilty of the same crime and you're punished accordingly. Not only you, but your family, not just your immediate family, but your extended family, and not only for this generation, but for the next two generations, so a total of three generations. And so that's what happened in this case, was 
the suspicious activity of digging up in the yard, bringing a book in the house, and, and uh, reading it overnight caught the attention of the neighbors. They reported it, and um, uh, Mrs. Ahn and her husband were brought in for investigation. Because he was a low-level Communist Party official, uh, he was exempted from that, uh, but his wife was not. And so as she was interrogated um, by the police, she was there at the interrogation table, and they asked her to put her hands out on the table. And uh, they uh, stood there, and they had a lead pipe, and uh, they said to her, who gave you that Bible? And she answered truthfully, I have no idea what a Bible is. And so they took the pipe and they and broke her, uh, the, the knuckle on her, on her thumb. And so the interrogator said to her again, what missionary brought you that Bible? And her response was, she said, I... I have no idea what a missionary is. And so they took the lead pipe and broke her knuckle, the next knuckle. And so in deep pain, the interrogation continued. And he said, what church network are you a part of? And she said, I truly have no idea what a church is. What are you talking about? And they took the lead pipe and they broke her knuckle. So in that way, they broke all 10 of her knuckles. And then also they broke her jaw and her skull. And so while all of this is happening, Mrs. An's husband was desperately trying to think of some way to be able to get his wife out of the situation. They had received, uh, for uh, his service to the Communist Party, they had received a television. So he was able to pawn the television in order to get the money to bribe the officials to release his wife. And he found a way for his wife to be able to thus leave the country. He had to stay, but got his wife out of the country. And when she got to China, of course, with all of her fingers broken, uh, her jaw broken, and her skull broken, uh, her first question was this. She said, will someone please tell me who this Jesus is in whose name I have been tortured? And in this way, Mrs. An came to know the Lord Jesus Christ and to place her life in his hands. In North Korea, the idea that North Korea is a closed country surrounded by a barbed wire fence that no one can ever leave is a creation of the media. It doesn't really happen. People leave North Korea every day. They go back and forth to make money illegally, pay a little bribe, cross the border, go back and forth. And you ask, well, why wouldn't they just escape? And the answer is because of the fact that if you left, then the relatives who stayed behind uh, would all be punished for your defection by being sent to a concentration camp. So it's a very effective means of keeping people in the country. But every week, North Korea does send out uh, trainloads and busloads of laborers to other countries. And so we reach North Koreans wherever they're found inside North Korea, also in China, Russia, Southeast Asia, Dubai, the Middle East, anywhere that hates the US is a convenient guide to know what countries you're likely to find North Koreans in. But uh, if you were to take the train on the, uh, the way to Vladivostok, with the North Korean laborers who head out every week. I want to tell you exactly what would happen. As the train leaves the station to leave North Korea and to enter into Russia, the minder who is in charge of the workers, uh, all of whom come from the most trustworthy classes of North Korean society, because those are the only ones who are sent out. And they're sent out to countries like Russia and China to make money. So. They go and do construction, they go and they do uh, 
timber work and um, they go and, and work in factories and so forth. And so um, as the, the train lumbers along, the minder stands up and this is what he says. He says, men, look closely. This is a Bible and you must never read it. The Bible is given out at buildings that have crosses on the top and you must never go there. Human nature being what it is, the very first stop that North Korean laborers make once they figure out who the spies are in the group, because North Korea really does have a saying where it's not among Christians, it's just among North Koreans in general. Wherever two or three are gathered together, one is a spy. So once they figure out who the spies are, the first spot that they like to go to is they like to go to the church to pick up a Bible in order to find out what is this book that their government restricts so heavily. It is the single most effective form of Bible distribution that outstrips the distribution by any missionary organization. And every week, it is a distribution that is done through the great work of the North Korean government. The... Um, sex trafficking that happens in North Korea that you may have heard of is very different than the sex trafficking in Southeast Asia. In Southeast Asia, when women are sex trafficked, that means that they serve as prostitutes and they have a terrible existence in, in these brothels and, and they need to be rescued. In North Korea, it means something different. The North Korean government uh, works uh, to sell its own women through Korean Chinese gangs into China to men who are elderly, handicapped, uh, hopelessly drug or alcohol addicted, um, or uh, who are incredibly poor. Uh, through the social engineering of the agencies that uh, bless us with their brilliance, the one-child uh, one policy in China has resulted in an imbalance, uh, too many men and not enough women. And North Korea calls that a market. And so they sell their own women through Korean Chinese gangs in order to uh, make money. Uh, and then the women are bought by Chinese men, uh, not to serve as prostitutes, but to serve as wives. It's a really interesting existence because the women don't speak Chinese and the men don't speak Korean. And so this sex traffic uh, happens at an astonishingly high level. It is simply uh, what happens to young women in North Korea. And uh, so uh, the uh, the story that I want to tell you tonight is the story of a woman whose name was Esther. The women are deceived into going to China because so many people go to China to make money. They go to China for a month, come back, go to China for six months, they come back. It's one of the only ways North Korean uh, women especially can make any money. Uh, but they might go to work as a maid or something like that. So when a friend of theirs comes and says, hey, I just got back from China, made a lot of money, I've got connections there, I can set you up. Of course, since you trust your friend, you'd say, Awesome, that'd be great. Oh, no, sorry, you don't say awesome. Americans say that. Brilliant. Uh, brilliant, please set me up. And so that's what they do. But this is how women end up being sex trafficked and sold to Chinese men. And this is what happened to Esther. Only Esther was smart enough to understand the game. But because her family was so desperate for money, she decided that she would sell herself and made an agreement with a broker that as long as she sold herself, they would split the money and she would be able to send half back to her family. The broker made the agreement promptly broke the agreement, which is why you don't make agreements with brokers like that. Esther was sold into sex slavery, and 
her family continued in destitute poverty in North Korea and her situation in home. And so Esther thought, what can I do in this situation? And so she decided, like many North Korean women do, that what she would do is to make an agreement to sell her friends into sex slavery. And so she went back to the broker that cheated her in the first place and said, okay, best two out of three, here's what we're going to do. I have 10 close friends in North Korea in the city in which I live. Uh, in this case, we're going to make an agreement, and this time you're going to make good on it. We're going to split the money. And the broker this time honored the agreement, and in, it was in this way that Esther convinced one of her friends uh, and, and sold them into sex slavery uh, to serve as the wives of Chinese husbands. And so um, as these women were toiling away in their difficult situation, Esther was caught. And one of the cruel realities of the situation for North Korean women is that um, they can't legally be in China. And so the Chinese government comes through every so often and sweeps through and sends them back to North Korea. Or, for example, they might be riding a bus. And if they're on public transportation and people find that they don't speak Chinese, they're known as North Korean, they get turned in. That's what happened to Esther. She was sent back to North Korea. And even though the women in almost every case, leave through no choice of their own. They're essentially misled or kidnapped and, and sold against their will. When they're returned to North Korea, the government that was responsible for kidnapping and selling them then punishes them by sending them to extreme prison sentences in which many die. So Esther was returned to North Korea, but because of the fact that her a teacher and thus had some standing in uh, North Korean society, they called the father and told them that and even though Esther had undertaken this action in order to save her family, her father told her that she had shamed the family, and thus she was no longer a member of the family. And so um, she was released from prison, uh, but again, uh, having lost her family through this desperate gambit and having sold all of her friends into sex slavery, she thought, as many North Korean women do, well, if that's the case, then forget it. I'm just going to go to South Korea. And so she went into China as she began her transit and when she went into China, she happened to run into our team. And uh, through our team, she met the Lord Jesus. And uh, in, in, in an action that had nothing at all to do with us, the Holy Spirit put on her heart that what she should do is to go back to each of the ten women that she had led into sex traffic and simply witness to them uh, what it was that she had experienced uh, through the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus. So this is what she did. And all 10 of those women uh, became Christian. And uh, not only did they become Christian, but Esther also was able, even though um, the speaking to um, uh, across the language barrier to their husbands was almost impossible, by the grace of God, uh, she was able to lead her husband to the Lord Jesus. And they then uh, succeeded in um, evangelizing each of the husbands uh, who were uh, responsible for buying the women in the first place. And so each of those uh, houses has become a house church and now are reaching out to other families that are in exactly the same situation. And these are some of the most despicable men you could ever meet, uh, would regularly beat their wives, uh, chronic alcoholics, and now uh, what they have become is Christian husbands. I want to pause here because I want you to note that each of the stories I have told you has in common the fact that if you were to present it to a mission board, they would give you one of two reactions. The first reaction would be, well, we'll need to find a way to bottle that, multiply it, and turn it into a program. It'll be a church planting strategy. 
Or they would say to you, well, that's only the court of last resort. If we properly resource the country with our tools, techniques, and strategies, there would be no further need for such nonsense. But interestingly, it's a tragic thing that happens when we resort to tools, techniques, and strategies in the countries where the Lord has declared such tools, techniques, and strategies strictly off limits. There's a terrible price to be paid, and it is always paid on the backs of sinners. What I mean by that is this. Uh, there are many organizations, um, many, many of which are well-known and uh, quite successful in fundraising, marketing, and advertising, um, that uh, attempt to help uh, the poor sex traffic women to ride the Underground Railroad to freedom in South Korea. And this resonates strongly with the Western mind. After all, who would be so heartless as to leave a woman in a situation like that? Wouldn't the best thing to do be to help her escape to freedom where she can start a new life? But here's the interesting situation that we face in our work in the field um, as we continue now almost into our 20th year of this work, is that now in Northeast China, due to the well-meaning tools, techniques, and strategies of Western mission organizations, we now have between 10 and 15,000 orphaned children that have no citizenship. Their fathers are Chinese, their mothers are North Korean, and in both China and North Korea, citizenship can only be established by the ethnicity of both parents. And so in the absence of the mother, if, if the mother's there, there's ways to get around it, make it work, and get the paperwork done. But in the absence of the mother, then what happens is, is that the father will almost always abandon the child because the men are elderly or handicapped or uh, chronically drug addicted or alcohol addicted. And so the children become orphans. Uh, because they're not citizens, they're not able to go to the hospital and they're not able to get an education. If your heart yearns to adopt them, the problem is, is that they're not able to be adopted because they can't be removed from the country. They don't exist. Now, in addition to that, the other problem that we have is that the women who rode the train to freedom, right? They, they rode the Underground Railroad to freedom. They come to South Korea, and the rate of their death due to suicide now stands at 16.9%. It is the highest rate of death due to suicide of any population group in recorded history. And it is the dirty little secret that's not told much in the marketing and advertising that's designed to free such women from their bondage. In each of those places, our work is to meet those North Koreans not to be the hands and feet of Jesus to institute some kind of counter-program method or strategy, but to simply to tell them the truth of how God is at work in ways that they can understand. I like to point out that we're not missionaries to North Korea. We are missionaries from the North Korean Underground Church, witnessing to you about the things that we see and hear as God works among North Korean people. One of my favorite stories in this regard is to do with the fact that um, we do this uh, missionary training school for North Korean uh, people who have defected to South Korea. Uh, we find it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a charming alternative to suicide, is what we like to say. Um, 
better than blowing your brains out or slitting your throat. And so uh, we, we suggest to people that, uh, that God has a purpose and a plan for them, uh, that there is work that only they can do. And we really don't know what it is uh, because we don't do tools, techniques, and strategies. Um, anything that you hear um, related to North Korea work uh, that's done on a mass production level, if you hear that 10 Bibles are good, so 100 is better and 1,000 is best, uh, I would suggest to you that that is not a well-advised strategy. Uh, North Korea is closed to those kind of strategies. But one of my favorite stories, then, is we train these people. I love to bring people to our school because the average age of our students is 70. More than 80% are women. Almost all of them were sex trafficked into China. And when people come, they look at our, our school and they say, what an adorable adult daycare center you are running. And my response is, these are tough old birds. And I would rather go back to back with them in the trenches than I would any Western Because what they say is, look, I spent my whole life worshiping Kim Il-sung. Why wouldn't I give the remaining years of my life to serve the Lord Jesus? And so, uh, but this, the story that I wanted to tell you is this. is this, this guy, really very nice guy, missionary guy, runs a discipleship base uh, for, for North Koreans um, in, uh, in a country... Uh, not China, but uh, another country that North Koreans go. And um, so he, he has great curriculum, great materials. It's all new and shiny, and it looks really awesome. And um, so uh, the North Koreans dutifully go through the, the program. They're really grateful for it. And so, but we brought our students there, and um, we had the students stay. Uh, th these are our old bird students, right? Average age, seven years old. Had them staying in the dormitory with where the students stay because the missionary doesn't stay in the dormitory. The missionary stays in the missionary compound. Um, but the, the North Koreans said to our North Korean students, the missionary trainees, they said, okay, seriously, for real, we know what the missionary said, but tell us, is God real? As is always the case, God sends witnesses who look and sound like and as missionaries, when we go, the first order of the day is to look and sound like the people to whom God has sent. And what that requires is a level of humility where we strip off all of the things that we've been taught. Now, I know it's challenging when I share these stories with you because, as Stephen said, the obvious question is, oh, yeah, so then what am I supposed to do? And my response is, the first underground North Korean Christian I ever met. It was almost 20 years ago, and we went to visit in this arrangement that was made specially for us in China, and my wife and I were meeting with him and a couple other folks, and I said to him, how can we pray for you? And he looked at me, and he said, you pray for us? We pray for you. 
And I thought that there must be some kind of translation error because I am from America, the land of the free and the home of the very rich Christians. And I was saying to him with my eyes, man, what do you need? This is your chance, baby. You need Bibles? I'm the hands and feet of Jesus. Medicine? I got that too. You need to get out of here? I can arrange it. I'm all about freedom. And he looked at me, and if reading my mind, he said, yeah, that's the problem with you American and South Korean Christians. You have so much. You have so much money and so much freedom, he said, that you end up putting your faith in your money and your freedom. He said, here in North Korea, we North Korean believers have neither money nor freedom. We have only Christ. And what we found is that he is sufficient. Um, my background before doing North Korean ministry is I've consulted with more than 1,500 ministries around the world. I'm responsible for having done the largest single one-day uh, religious event in U.S. history, which was Stand in the Gap for Promise Keepers, over a million people in Washington, D.C. I did the largest one-day volunteer outreach event at the Los Angeles Dream Center, visiting 85,000 homes on a single day. I know how to mobilize, and I know how to do big events. I like big and shiny. And the Lord sent me to the North Korean people, and my thought was, he sent me because they need to be resourced. And the Lord spoke to me through that first encounter, and he said, no, they are properly resourced. You, however, sir, are not. And what I had to enter into to do North Korean ministry is the realization that mission work and being a missionary is always the most humbling experience if we want to be effective because ultimately it is not about being able to be the hands and feet of Jesus because he still uses his own hands and feet today to do his work in ways that are so objectionable to us that we term them foolish we want to systematize them out of existence and so I had to humble myself and to repent and to learn from this North Korean brother what it meant to be a missionary. What it means to be a missionary is exactly what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1. It means to be a witness about what Jesus is doing. And one of the things I've learned in 20 years is that what Jesus is doing is, a, one, it's a whole lot more interesting than what people do. And second of all, it's not always synonymous with what we do in his name. So we can't just tell a story and tack Jesus on to the end of it and say it happened by the grace of God. We have to be willing to let Jesus be Jesus and to do mission work in the way that he does it in the countries that he goes to. And so when we look at the more than 70 countries around the world that are closed to the gospel, we see God doing amazing things. And the purpose of Release International Voice of the Martyrs is simply to tell those stories. And so if people say, what do you need money for? My response is, you know, oddly, it's the strangest thing because our experience is not that one Bible is good, so a thousand is better. My experience is, is that the, the single most effective Bible that I've ever had anything to do with in North Korea was a Bible of 10 verses that was written on toilet paper that was given from one prisoner to another in a North Korean jail cell. So what I'm telling you is, is that I, I can't 
promise you that if you give me your money through Release International Review on Korea, that I can create a system, method, or a strategy for anything. I'm sorry, Stephen, if that's not, not a good sales pitch, you know. But, but what I can say is, is that there are times that money is helpful, but there's times that it's not. We tend to lead with it when we should not. We tend to look at North Korean Christians and define them by their lack. They don't have Bibles. They can't bow their head to pray. They can't gather together. They don't have church buildings. They don't have seminaries. And assume that what, what, what they need is all of these things. But what Jesus tells us is that the Lord always uses everything for the good of those who love him. And his Father loves all his children and provides them with what they need, which is sufficient to the place in which he has placed them. So yes, we do use money with North Korean people. If you want to give us some, my response is, we'll steward it well. We try to do the best we can anyway. Uh, but it tends to go out in drips and drabs, and we receipt all of it and write reports about it and all that kind of stuff. But there's just no way to systematize it because the Lord doesn't work that way in closed countries. But I'm just thinking, I mean, I'm just thinking that maybe we should change our mission strategy and adopt that one because it seems to be working better than than what's happening in our country. Where is the church growing faster, the UK or North Korea? Where is the church growing faster, Northern Ireland or North Korea? Where is the church growing faster, the US or North Korea? Answer North Korea. Because God is at work there. The Lord has gone ahead of us, and I have been a witness to you tonight to give you the word of what he's doing. To be a missionary simply means to go and to observe, to keep your eyes wide open, See where the Lord is at work and stand dutifully in line. And if he asks for money, give it to him. If he doesn't, keep it in your pocket. If he needs Bibles, you provide them. If he doesn't, you don't. It's just not a rule. So if you ask, how should I pray? I will tell you then the rest of my story about what the brother said to me. He said, don't pray with pity for us. He said, instead, pray that God will find us each faithful where he placed us. And that's really the challenge that I give to you is, is that you have the resources here in Northern Ireland where sometimes the tools, techniques, and strategies do work because that's the kind of Western mindset where we can, you know, do everything at a mass level. So be faithful with those tools, techniques, and strategies. But when it comes to North Korea, don't look at North Korea and see it as lacking those things and needing those things because it would make about as much sense as you crying tears because you say they don't have corned beef and cabbage. But they don't eat corned beef and cabbage in North Korea. They eat kimchi. So God doesn't give them corned beef and cabbage. He gives them kimchi. And if you say, well, thank God he gives them persecution and not us, my response is simply to remind you that Mrs. An looks at the day she was beaten and had her knuckles broken as the most fortunate day of her life. And Esther, who was sex trafficked, thanks God every day that the government kidnapped her and sent her to another country and then dragged her back and put her in jail. North Korea is the one country where they burned every Bible and killed every Christian that they could find because the Christian faith is so threatening to the North Korean government. And then in the 1970s when the rest of the world started to catch on that they had done this, and the human rights commissions and the religious freedom folks came and said, we need to see proof that you guys are, are really good people. The North Korean government got together and they said, huh, what can we do to fool the rest of the world into thinking that there's religious freedom in North Korea? They thought about it, and this is the idea they came up with. They said, let's translate 
the best translation of the Bible that's ever been done in the Korean language. They like the idea because Christianity is only 100 years old in Korea, so the Bible that's being used in South Korea wasn't a very good translation at that time. So they set to work. They called together even the descendants of the missionaries. They called together Bible linguists, and they translated the best translation of the Bible that's ever been done in the Korean dialect, even to this day. It wasn't done by Wycliffe. It didn't result from any offering that was taken at Bangor Worldwide since its foundation. It wasn't done by the International Bible Societies or the United Bible Societies. It was done by the worst persecuting government in the history of humanity. The only thing they did forget to do was they didn't print many copies. They only printed a few thousand because they didn't intend to distribute them. So people ask us, do you smuggle Bibles in the country? We say, that's easy. The hard thing was we smuggled one of those out. We mass-produced it, typeset it, because North Koreans told us that what they wanted to do was to launch Bibles by balloon, weather balloon, back into North Korea. So we do that nonsense, and through that we send 40,000 Bibles back into North Korea every year. So when you tell me that North Korea is closed, I tell you it is the only country in the world where the Bible falls from the sky. So I, I, that's all I really wanted to say to you tonight. Um, it's just to say that um, in this theme of go unto all of the world, really don't think of yourself in any kind of a, uh, an essential way in that regard. I mean, uh, as, as Mordecai told Esther, he didn't say to her, Esther, if you don't go, the Jews are going to be slaughtered. He said, the Jews will be fine. It's your family that's going to really be in trouble. So my response is the same thing to you. If you don't go into all of the world, the world will go on and the work of Christ will, will, will accomplish its purpose. But when you read Acts, that word becomes true for you. And in the indicative, it says that when you leave this place tonight, you will be a witness. In the stories that you've heard from my mouth, you will tell. Next time you see the stories about North Korea on the news, you'll say, oh yeah, but that's not even the whole story. You would be amazed what the Lord Jesus is doing. And you will be a witness because that's how he works. So I would say this, what we need is a new definition of missionary. We're not the hands and feet. We're just the witnesses. We just watch what he does and tell the stories about it. We're not the systematizers, the campaigners. We're not the financers. The Lord does fine without money. The people who need to give it is us because it doesn't do much good. It corrodes our souls and we hold on to it. So... We're happy to take it, keep it in a box, and use it as we need it. That's what we've been doing for 20 years, and I like to think we've done a pretty good job of it. Is that okay, Stephen? Is that enough of a sales pitch? <laughs> okay. But for you, as for you, you have so much.